Hello, 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 and welcome to Tea and Crumpets, the podcast about any and everything. I'm your host, Ashley B. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ashley B. And with me, I have Ashley Freeman as my co-host. Hey, Ash. Hi, Ash. <laughs> this like is so confusing <laughs> when both people have the same name. <laughs> it, re- it really is. Um, but it's one of the best names ever. So ever. it's fine. In life. Yes, exactly. And everyone will just have to figure it out I think our voices sound different enough that it wouldn't be confusing yeah definitely mm-hmm. and you'll be dropping all the knowledge so <laughs> <laughs> they should know yeah. it's you uh but seriously I really do think you have a lot of knowledge to give and I'm so appreciative of you joining me for this episode that you do not know what you're talking about because <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't told you anything besides do you want to come on this episode with me <laughs> Um, so for those of you who do not know who she is, I'm going to read the the bio you sent me a year ago. Ashley Freeman is a resiliency activator who empowers individuals to realize that their circumstances don't hinder the future. Instead, they are stepping stones to success to reveal how resilient a person truly is. She achieves this by utilizing her platform, DontDieAfraid.com, to create inspirational content, facilitate mental wellness workshops, and advocate for the de-stigmatization of mental health. So basically, she's a boss bee. I like the summary of that. That that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, you really are. I like I said before, you I know you will have so many great trumpets to share with our listeners, um, which you pretty much do every day on social media. Um, and if you don't know, I really truly admire you. I think you're amazing. Oh, <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Uh, So as I said, I have no idea where this conversation is about to go, but I know it'll be great. Uh, So we'll get on with it and start with um, your background. So how did you get to become this resiliency activator? Yeah. Um, So I feel like I've always been this way, low key, high key. Um, Since, you know, high school, middle school, I've always been the person who encouraged my friends. I was always the person that people came to, to share their different problems and to receive encouragement. So my whole life, like I've been that girl that you go to the best friend that you can vent to and she'll keep your, your secrets a secret. um, But she'll also remind you of how amazing you are. And I realized that that that's my superpower. You know, that's something that I take a lot of pride in um, because sometimes people, that's all that they need. You know, they all they need is someone who will be there and who can remind them of what they're capable of uh, when they lack that that mentality themselves, you know, because we all have moments um, when we forget what we're capable of because mm-hmm. we've messed up or we've procrastinated or we failed at something. And we're like, oh my gosh, the world is ending. And I'm that <laughs> girl that is hyping you up on the side, like no girl or guy is not ending. I believe in you. Um, so yeah. That is awesome. And you are definitely that person. You just reminded me earlier this week when I was <laughs> like, girl, I don't even know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you've been doing this for a while. Um, I know that you are a dual degreed woman. So in undergrad, your degree was not in anything health related. No, my undergrad degree is actually broadcast journalism. Um, So I decided to pursue journalism um, after some experiences in high school where I went on a volunteer trip to New Orleans. So this was after Hurricane Katrina, a couple of years after. And I met amazing people in New Orleans. And I just sat with them and I learned their stories of perseverance and resilience. 
And I was like, yo, like everyone needs to know this. And, and being such a young age, I mean, at that time I was like 16, 17. And it's just like sometimes tragedies and, you know, disasters will happen in different parts of the countries or even different cities or neighborhoods. And the, the person right next door, the person in a different state doesn't feel compelled to do anything or take interest in said tragedy or disaster because it doesn't directly affect them right but through that experience in New Orleans I realized the power of storytelling and I realized that if you actually sat with people and learned what they go through you would have a heart for it you would care about it Um, so when I went back to um, my school after that volunteer trip one of my jobs was to be an ambassador for that volunteer trip and to go around the school you know sharing and amplifying the stories that I heard while I was in New Orleans to other students. So they, you know, would be compelled to go down and do the volunteer trip themselves and have, you know, a similar immersion experience. Um, so when I did that, I realized the, the, the power of storytelling, but also how much I enjoy just genuinely learning about people and asking them questions and just sitting there and, you know, picking their brains and learning about everything that they overcame. Um, so I did that all undergrad journalism, you know, interned at NBC um, with the best of the best, Melissa Harris Perry, NBC specials, uh, the Democratic National Convention and iVillage, which was a woman's platform. Um, so it was a great run, um, but I'm also a Bill Gates scholar. So for my master's and PhD, he Speak only on pays. <laughs> He's so silly. <laughs> he only pays for certain concentrations, including public health, engineering, or education. So I took a year off, worked at some little startup in Manhattan, and I was like, "All right, I want a free master's degree so I could get out of New York, but I also want it to be something that I can relate to my communications background." And that's when I decided to move to the D.C. area and get my master's of public health. And that's when, like, my health degree, like, really started and everything officially, even though I had already started Don't Die Afraid before that and was kind of dabbling in health. That was, like, the official, official start of it. Okay. I never knew that. Go, girl. <laughs> Did y'all hear how she said, you know, some little startup in Manhattan, like, that's not a big deal. <laughs> which is actually it's so funny I think it was last year or two years um they I don't know the right term for it but basically they're now like open for stocks so you know like there's there's this whole ceremony where they go to Wall Street and they get to mm-hmm. take all these pictures and this whole thing so yeah they're a publicly owned company now so back when I started working <laughs> there it was a quote-unquote little company but now <laughs> I could actually buy stocks in it so it's actually a big company. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned Don't Die Afraid. So tell us how that began. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Don't Die Afraid started after I graduated college. Like I said, I had a great run, a three-year run at NBC. And I was like, this is going to be my life. I'm going to work here forever. I'm going to have my own show. Like I had it all planned out. Which I feel like most of us have it all planned out. Once we graduate college, we're like, you know, this is my dream and this is what I want to do. And you really believe that you can achieve that because if you think about it your whole life, you've been able to control things. You've been able to control who you're friends with in school, your extracurricular activities, what classes you take, what electives you take, you know, everything. You're in control of everything. So then you graduate college and you're like, wait. So the landlord controlled my rent <laughs> and this hiring manager controls if I get this job. And, and you realize like, dang, I've been lied to. Like, I don't really <laughs> have the control. And that's what happened to me. You know, I, I got really depressed after I graduated. I was like, I'm this girl who has straight A's and I'm this and I'm that. And now I feel like a complete failure because I don't have my dream job. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that's a really dark place for a lot of people to be in. And I also realized that I wasn't the only person experiencing that. So I was like, okay, if I'm not the only person experiencing this and I have this journalism degree and passion for helping people, learning about people, writing and sharing my story, why don't I create my own platform? If NBC or none of these other 
you know, networks will hire me, then I'll hire myself. Like I'll take um, control of my life on my own. Um, So what my initial model for Don't Die Afraid was, was don't deprive the universe of your amazing contributions because you died afraid. So that was the model it was first started on because I was like, okay, Ashley, like these people won't give you a job, but you can build your own. Um, Mm -hmm. So that was me not depriving the world of, you know, the talents that I had just because I didn't have a formal setting to do it. So the blog originally started out as me um, sharing these different revelations that I was having as this new graduate who's just trying to navigate the world. And I talked about like my favorite songs to help me get through things and gratitude and all these cool things. And then as time uh, went on and I started realizing the rhetoric around mental health is when I decided to um, start to focus on mental health because I always had a passion for mental health. I started going to therapy in high school. Like I've been, I've been on this mental health wave, but I just wasn't as vocal about it because the few people that I was vocal with it, I meant about it with in high school, they shut it down, you know, and they weren't as open. So I was like, okay. And then I realized like, Hey, I have this platform. Like, let me make it be bigger than what it is. Okay. That's amazing. Did you feel ever afraid that it wouldn't be what you wanted it to be? Yes. Yes. For the simple fact that when I started talking about mental health, it was about four or five years ago and it wasn't the hot topic that it is now, you know, Mm -hmm. now it's the cool thing to talk about mental health and people are talking about self care and lighting candles and chakras and crystals (laughs) and and all these things. And I'm like, all right, but I've been doing this, right? I was doing this before this was the cool thing to do. Um, So I was scared because back then when I was doing it, I was following a whole bunch of people who were, you know, beauty influencers Mm. and fashion and, you know, all these hot topics. And I was like, man, I'll never blow up like them because I'm talking about something of substance and something that's, you know, more taboo to talk about. But I realized that it doesn't matter how many people I impact. It just matters the people that I impact. You know, those are the people that matter. It's not the 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 quantity of how Mm -hmm. many people I impact. It's those one-on-one interactions. And I actually started taking screenshots of messages that I received from people, you know, saying, oh my goodness, your content helped me do this. And just watching your videos helped me get through this moment. And, and that's what I live for. And so I started Mm -hmm. a folder. So every time I got down and I was like, dang, like I'm not blown up like this person or that person, I opened up that folder and I reminded myself of why I was doing it. And I think that's really important for everyone to do, especially if you're doing something that isn't the popular thing or it's, it's, it might be the popular thing and that's the problem, right? Everyone's right. telling you like, oh, why would you start a podcast? Like everyone has a podcast mm-hmm. and it's just like, well, I'm a different person <laughs> and I bring something different to the table and this is not saturated because my voice is needed. So whenever you get those testimonials from people, you get that feedback, keep that in a safe folder so you can go back to that and remember your why and remember those people who are counting on you. Because every time I've thought about quitting Don't Die Afraid so many times, and every time I did, I went back to those people who told me that I matter and I keep doing it for them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I definitely was like, I really want to start a podcast because people kept telling me like, you should start a podcast. And I was like, but what would I talk about? And then so it's kind of like, okay, well, we'll just talk about any and everything, like whatever interests me and I'll have mm-hmm. different people come on and share a spotlight on some of my amazing friends. And, you know, and it's just like, I don't know how many people have actually listened to it. I mean, I do because the app tells me, but yes. <laughs> you know, it's not like this huge number of people, but the people who I interact with on the regular basis who have listened to it have all said that it's been great. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even though I see the numbers, I'm like, I'm still going to do it because the the few people who have listened have said that it's really great and they want to come on. And it's just, as I told you, was a creative outlet for me because with um, being in grad school, which finally ended a few weeks ago and (laughs) I know, right. And working full time, it just felt like I was bogged down 
with everything around me and like you said like things that weren't necessarily in my control like I had to do what my employer told me to do and I had to do this assignment because if I don't then I don't graduate and it was like I need to find something for me to do that Mm -hmm. I control and I can say who can come on and you know things like that and so I definitely agree that that's really important and it doesn't matter how many listeners how many viewers how many clicks whatever just as long as you find something that you're passionate about but for a lot of people they don't know what that is necessarily so if someone you know came to you and was like I I'm feeling this way like I feel like I need an outlet but I don't know what I'm good at or I don't know what I should do like what would you say Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would tell them to start with, if they don't know the answers internally, um, ask the top five people that they revere in their lives. That could be family members, friends, whatever the case may be. And ask those people a couple of questions. So go to those people and ask them, hey, how do I make you feel? Like, what type of emotions do I bring to your life? What type of energy do I bring to your life? Like, you know, what are the benefits that you get out of this relationship from you to me? Mm-hmm. And so then, um, you know, also capture all this information. <laughs> uh, then the second question to ask those people is, what do you think my strengths are? You know, from what you know about me, our interactions, like, what do you think I do well? And then uh, the third thing I would ask them to ask these people is what areas do you think I need to grow in? You know, what can I do better? And so then I would take all that information and I would write it down and I would then ask myself, you know, the person who's doing this exercise, like, what do you agree with and what do you disagree with about mm-hmm. what these people said? And so from the information that you collect in my opinion, you can see what your strengths are because a lot of times people will create outlets based on what their strengths are. Like you said, you know, I'm interested in all these different things. I have dope friends, like why not combine them, right? And so you made a podcast based on your strengths and like what you can do. But other people sometimes they focus on what solution can I fix, you know? And so there's a lot of podcasts. Well, we're just going to talk about podcasts for for this moment because it's fitting. Um, (laughs) But there are a lot of podcasts that are focused on fixing certain issues, you know, Mm -hmm. in the world. And so if you want to make a podcast, you know, you can make a podcast on something that you don't do well because what I love about people is when you can grow together. And I think that's a beautiful thing that people overlook. They're always like, oh, I want to I want to create something, but I I only want it to be something that I'm strong in and something Mm -hmm. that I'm great at. And it's like, what about just doing something that you're sucky at and having your audience join you in the journey Mm -hmm. of being becoming better in that area? And I don't see people doing that a lot. And I think that is one of the biggest problems with society now, because so many people, you know, talk about social media and how they compare themselves. And it's just like, that's because, you know, we all say like, oh, social media is a highlight reel. Well, how about highlighting the journey? You know, I hate going on these yoga pages because I'm so obsessed with (laughs) yoga. And like, you see these girls in these like contorted positions and like once every, you know, three months, they'll, they'll post a picture of a throwback when they couldn't do it. And it's just like, but now it seems like they're at this, this such a high level that it seems impossible for a regular person Mm -hmm. to achieve that, you know? And so then that leaves the regular person thinking, oh, yoga is not for me. And so if you want to create something that really has a huge impact, create it in mind of the audience that you're trying to capture and what do you want to achieve, you know? And, and whether that's a podcast, that could be a book, you know, that could be a film, it could be anything. But I think that that's how you really help people is when you bring them along on your journey. And that's what I try to do through Don't Die Afraid. You know, I've been very transparent on there. Like when I lost my mother figure, I brought people along on the journey of like, 
how my life has sucked since that <laughs> happened. And you know, the days that I cry and the days that yeah. I don't want to be here and you know, all of that. And and people admire that because they can connect to that as opposed to if I came on there every day and said, oh my gosh, my life is just so great. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, is it now? Because now you're making <laughs> me feel bad, you know? So that's what I suggest. Yeah. And I will say, I definitely was along for that journey. And I remember you, um, I believe you were at the airport, maybe. Yes. Yeah. And you filmed yourself and how you were feeling and you were crying and recording in the airport. And I was like, wow, this is really powerful. Like, because that is so important. And I find myself sometimes like I, you know, we all know that in the back of our minds, like you said, this is a highlight reel, mm-hmm. but still you're looking at these people and you're like, but you're here, you know, mm-hmm. you have, you have the blue check mark, whatever the hell that <laughs> means, you know? So, you know, how, like no mm-hmm. one's ever really showing the behind the scenes it's just like overnight celebrity Mm-hmm. and then so I think everyone's trying to be an overnight celebrity so if it is something that they really want to do and it's not super successful tomorrow it's like okay that didn't work let me go on to something else mm-hmm. and you know then then where are we it's like okay so what are you gonna do then <laughs> you're just gonna keep quitting things <laughs> until like <laughs> something just like works I yeah you know and so it's like I don't know um but speaking of like I don't know so I'm also at a place where I just don't know what's next like just having graduated with my master's degree and this feeling of okay I have this degree now I should be doing something within this field that I just spent all this money on. Um, you know, like, well, you don't know because you didn't spend money on yours. But, I paid but, for my housing. I do have a loan for housing. For those of us who pay tuition and fees, you know, wanting to just really make sure that you know, it doesn't go to waste. And I definitely have friends who have master's degrees and aren't doing the work in those fields. And are, you know, we have these talks and we're just kind of like, what are we doing? Like, where do we, where do we go from here? So how, how do you make the career move, you know, when you don't, you don't know where to begin, I guess. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I love this question because it's what I talk about at a lot of workshops that I do at high schools and colleges, because I think it's it's the same thing that high school students feel. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I have to pick this major that I have to do for four years, then graduate, find a job in it, and do it for 50 to 60 more years? Like, (laughs) this is a really big decision to make when I'm 18, and I think our, our education system is so backwards and so flawed for putting that pressure on kids to have it all figured out Mm -hmm. because the whole I don't know thing connects heavily to the not having it figured out thing which is um largely shamed you know Mm -hmm. as soon as a a child hits junior year it's like oh well what are your future plans what are you going to do this what are you going to do that um so when people are in a stage of I don't know I challenge them to think about it in the sense of just thinking about what do you know for the next 24 hours? Mm. Because I feel like a lot of people, when they say, oh, I don't know what I want to do next or I don't know where to go next, it's because they're thinking of this grandiose thing where they're like, I need to have the next five to 10 years figured out and I need to figure out how to get into that career um, so I can you know, plant myself and all this other jazz. And it's like, okay, that's a really big list for another five to 10 years. But just thinking about what do you want to do tomorrow? Like what type of work environment, if we're specifically talking about work, because this is more so career driven, Mm -hmm. what type of work environment do you want to be in tomorrow? You know, what type of coworkers do you want to be around tomorrow? You know, what type Mm -hmm. of 
supervisor do you want to have tomorrow? <laughs> you know, like, right, really thinking about and drawing and writing out what those characteristics are because work environments is where you spend the most of yep. your time. You know, our whole days, eight to 10 hours, if you include commuting or some people who work overtime and everything mm-hmm. like that. And so I think it's a really big deal to just think about tomorrow instead of thinking about, you know, the next five to 10 years, which is what everyone feels so pressured to do. Realize that at any moment you can reinvent yourself. And I think it's, it's unfair that we allow athletes and celebrities to reinvent themselves all the time. And we never question them. Like look at P Diddy. He's had over five names. (laughs) He's had over like 10 companies and no one ever questions him. And why don't they question him? They don't question him because he's a celebrity and he has the freedom to just reinvent himself whenever he wants to. And it's just like you and P Diddy, there's, there's nothing different between the two of you besides the amount of net worth that you have. And it's just like someone's net worth shouldn't define if they can reinvent themselves or not. We Mm -hmm. should have the same freedom, you know, and tell our kids that too. Like tell our children, you know, just go do something fun that you want to do for the moment, you know, and be able to reinvent yourself later. I was just talking to my friend Jeremy today and he was talking about uh, Jaden Smith and how many you know companies Jaden Smith is, has owned you know and it's just like you're super young but obviously it's because of the money that he has and it's like money usually gives us access to be able to reinvent ourselves because reinventing ourselves largely sometimes will include failing you know mm-hmm. and that that failure piece is what holds people back it's just like well I don't really want to try to jump into that different career over there because I don't know if it'll work out. I don't know if I have enough experience. I don't really, you know, and that's where the, I don't knows come in. It it comes in when you don't know the end result of something, you know, if you, if you know that you'll be great at a job, of course you'll do it. But if you don't know all the the tasks that are listed in the, in the core competencies that you need, you're not going to do it. And it's just like, how about you just do it for fun? Just see. And if you end up not liking it or not liking the environment or the people, you can always reinvent yourself. Um, I think it's never too late to reinvent yourself unless you're dead. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got real dark. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's so you. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like, wow. Okay. Thanks. No, but that, I mean, I, I would agree. Um, you mentioned uh Diddy Puff Daddy P Diddy Puffy <laughs> Sean uh, Combs. Don't forget Sean. <laughs> right, Sean P Diddy Combs. <laughs> all of the names and his net worth. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about networking and finding those people who can maybe help you along the journey to reinventing yourself? Like, how did you find? your tribe mm-hmm. yeah so networking I love networking everywhere I go I was with someone today and he was like you just talk to everyone like we were walking past the Panera bread window and I like waved to the guy inside and I'm like yeah I just met him a couple of minutes ago like I ordered something from him like yes <laughs> I meet people everywhere I go and people just taking a the first step to networking is taking a genuine interest in other people and I feel like people walk into networking with the with it completely backwards they walk into networking thinking how can I meet someone who can help me and it's just like no your mindset should be how can I meet someone that I can help and I realized that every time I've walked into a situation where I think like oh how can I meet someone that I can help it, and it, it returns the return on investment has been massive, you know, um, because you walk into it with a servant heart and always focusing on the other person. That's mm. when they'll want to give to you more. You know, if you think about it, if you're sitting there talking to someone and they're just talking about themselves and talking about themselves, it's just like you don't want anything to do with them, you know. But if they're asking you questions and showing a genuine interest in you, you know, that's when 
it, it really um, that's when you really feel compelled to build that relationship with them. So if you haven't read the book, it's an ancient book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That is a book that my mentor gave me. And it is it's it's basically like the networking Bible. And it's all about how to make other people feel good, how to serve others and how to genuinely connect. Mm-hmm. And it's an awesome book that in another book called The Go-Giver. Um, which also focuses on serving and always thinking about the other person. And so, like I said, when you're in environments, just connecting with people, asking them questions, learning about their genuine interests and, you know, what they like. And I remember I did that, I did that two or three weeks ago. Um, But the the person approached me because she's also a great networker. And also the other second key so the first key is to walk in thinking about what can you do for the other person and the second key is to be vulnerable and open so Mm -hmm. when you're asking questions listen to what the other person is saying and find ways that you can connect with them um so the young lady that I was talking to she was talking about hosting an event about grief and loss and so I saw that as a connecting point and shared with her about how you know I lost my mother figure And then two seconds later, she invited me to a special exclusive dinner with Oscar Grant. Oscar Grant is the gentleman um, who the movie Fruitville Station Mm -hmm. was based on. Um, And his mother was at this dinner, this dinner of seven women that are all dealing with grief and loss. And how did that happen? That happened by me taking a genuine interest and what someone else was doing, the event that she was putting on. And secondly, by being vulnerable and open and sharing with her, you know, what I was overcoming at the moment. And she was like, yeah, I'm gathering women who have dealt with grief and loss to be able to hang out with Miss Wanda Johnson, which is Oscar Grant's mom. And that was an opportunity that I got to, to experience this weekend. And it's just like, I would have never experienced that if I didn't take a genuine interest in this other person and I'm just so blessed and I've I've sent her so many messages like oh my gosh like thank you so much I'm so appreciative like I'm I'm just so appreciative I'm just so overwhelmed this weekend with the interactions with Oscar Grant's mom and you know finding out ways I can actually support the Oscar Grant Foundation Mm -hmm. and everything like that and it's just like people just need to realize that networking is normal. All networking is, is connecting with others. And none of us came into this world knowing all the people in our phone book, you know, we had to meet them in one way or the other, but we don't see it as networking, right? How you met your best friend. You don't see that as networking, Mm -hmm. but it was a connection that was built and that's all networking is. So how did you learn to be vulnerable? Because that's something that most people struggle (laughs) with. I mean, in relationships, you know, whether romantic or platonic. And so, you know, you're talking about going out and being vulnerable with a stranger. But if I can't even be vulnerable with, you know, my closest family members, you know, how do I learn to be vulnerable around people who I don't know? Like, how do I learn vulnerability, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would definitely say the first step is to be vulnerable with yourself. um, Because, we overlook our relationship with ourselves all the time. Whenever we talk about relationships, we always talk about it outwardly. You Mm -hmm. know, you just explained it. You said, oh, people that I'm friends and family with and strangers, but you never talked about the relationship that you have with yourself. And once I built a relationship with myself and started, you know, journaling and writing to myself and writing out my thoughts and and talking to myself and practicing self-talk and self-affirmations, that was how... I got to another level of vulnerability because writing out your thoughts on a piece of paper as fast as you can helps you get everything on paper. And then you realize all the things that are flowing through your mind and all the desires that are on your heart and all the pain that you're going through. And you're like, Oh wow. Like there's, there's a lot of information here and that can lead to you digging deeper. Um, And there are a couple of books that I've used. Um, that are like self-exploration books so there's one that's called start where you are and that book is great for people who want to dive into vulnerability more Um, there's different exercises in there that ask you different questions and it can can really pull out that information that will allow you to dive deeper and then Brene Brown do you know about Brene Brown Mm -hmm. 
Yes, Brene Brown. Look up TED Talks by her. She loves vulnerability, mm-hmm. like it's her thing. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, definitely number one is is being vulnerable with yourself, and then obviously the number two for a person who feels uncomfortable in this can be started with being vulnerable with your friends and family. But I actually found success in the reverse mm-hmm. um, with being vulnerable with strangers before my friends and family because. When you're vulnerable with your friends and family and they shut you down, that hurts. That hurts a lot. Like, I remember when I was in high school and I told my um, my best friend at the time that I was depressed and had suicidal ideation because my, like, biological mother had been gone for a while. Like, mm-hmm. she disappeared. Uh, and she was like, um well, my boyfriend might break up with me. And I was like, girl, oh. I just told you that my mother's been gone for right. like three months. And you want to talk about some boy that you're not even going to remember a year from now? Like, what? <laughs> and that really shut me down because that was a vul- like it was something extremely vulnerable for me to share. And and I'm so happy that I didn't let that one experience, you know, block me off from anything else. Mm-hmm. But I realized in that moment that, people that you care about they have so much power over you you know and and when you get shut down by them it can cause you to shut down and not want to do that anymore but with strangers it's just like I don't know it's like a gang because you don't you might never (laughs) see them again doesn't really matter um so I find it a great you know practice ground for vulnerability um, whether that's, you know, a stranger at an event that you meet or whether that is, you know, a stranger at work that you don't really know. You know, there's obviously different levels of strangers, but that's what, what I've been able to successfully do. And it's funny that you said this because someone else who was basically a stranger a couple of weeks ago asked me, he was like, you shared a lot with me. Are you normally an open book? <laughs> or do you feel comfortable sharing this with me? And that's why you're so vulnerable. And I was like, honestly, I'm an open book because I think there's so much power in vulnerability because when you share things with people and you open up, that gives the other person permission to do the same. And that's when you realize the similarities between the two of you. And when you find similarities with someone, that gives you the opportunity to find resources together, um, to share and be a part of each other's support systems. Um, and it also allows you to realize that you're not alone and it does it for the other person as well. So I think that if we were all just a little bit more vulnerable and open and honest about the things that we're overcoming, we mm-hmm. would realize that we're not alone. And there's so much power in realizing that you're not alone. Yeah. Look at this, this dropping just crumpets left and right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, excuse me. Excuse me. Which I, I mean, I knew it was going to happen. But, you know, it's just like, oh, this is lovely. <laughs> um, So in being vulnerable with people. So something that I have been trying to work on um, lately has been uh finances and I'll definitely ask you about you know financial freedom or hashtag finding financial freedom I don't know what you texted <laughs> me but um and so just you know just today some coworkers and I uh took some time just to talk about um you know some of our goals uh financially mm-hmm. and what we feel um you know hinders us from getting there what can we do differently? And then finding accountability partners, like being accountability partners for each other. Mm-hmm. And so that wouldn't have happened if we weren't willing to share, like, you know, this is where I am now. This is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially like within the black community, you know, you don't talk about money outside of your house, yeah. right? Like that's something that a lot of us, um are told like mm-hmm. no one should know about your finances so to, if we kept that mentality like none of us would have had that conversation because none of yeah. us would be saying like man my savings is low mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm it needs to change or like I need to build up my credit you mm-hmm. know and so just having that moment today was really amazing like I just remember sitting there thinking like wow, this is something that we should do like more often, just 
sit and talk. It doesn't have to be about finances, but just being vulnerable about something and feeling like I'm not alone. I'm not behind, you Mm -hmm. know, because I have found myself lately being like, man, you know, people are buying houses. People are having kids. Like Mm -hmm. people are doing X, Y, and Z. And, you know, how or not how, but when am I going to get there, yep. right? And so it's just like, oh, but these other people are also feeling the same thing as me. Yep. And that's okay. Like, we're not behind or, you know, whatever. We're where we're supposed to be at this moment in time. And so for me, that was just really eye-opening and, like, a powerful moment. Like, here we are, three young Black professionals, like, talking about wanting to be better wanting to improve and holding each other accountable um and so i know that you're all about financial freedom yes so talk about that like what does that mean for you how did you start this journey why where do you want to end up yes um so financial freedom (laughs) is now in my dating profile because like (laughs) that's how serious I am about this like I think the question was like oh I would fall for you if and then my response was you want financial freedom like like it's that serious like it's that serious um like it's it's actually that serious um and that's simply because financial freedom to me and to a lot of people who are on this journey is the opportunity to buy back your time and to have money, money flowing passively. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause if you think about it, our jobs are an exchange of time for money. You put in your 40 hours, you get this check. Mm-hmm. You want more money. You might have to put in more hours or you'll have to put in more effort during those hours. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just this constant cycle of, time for money, money for time, this, this constant thing. And I realized that I don't want to do this for the next 56 years of my life, because, you know, what happens when I want to build a family? And I know not a family isn't um, everyone's desire, Mm -hmm. but it's personally like my personal desire is because I want to have a family, you know, growing up, in poverty, you know, being raised by my Nana, um, we were on a fixed income and I didn't know it at the time. But when I grew up, I realized like, oh, OK, not everybody was living like that. Right. Mm-hmm. People had some other things. And, <laughs> you, you know, children, I don't think children ever really know until they grow up. However, you know, they were they were being raised. What type right. of, um, you know, household they they were growing up in, what the, the finances were like. But what I do know is that I want to be able to have a family that doesn't have to think about money because people always say, oh, money is the source of all evil and people who have a lot of money are bad. And it's like, no, it depends on what you do with your money. And if you think a lot of people are like, oh, well, my life doesn't revolve around money. The fact that you go to work every day for a check means that Mm -hmm. it does. (laughs) Money money decides everything in your life it decides what groceries you buy it decides if you're gonna take a uber to work or if you're gonna hop on the train or a bus (laughs) and like people don't think about it like that but how do you make your decisions it's based on money you know everything is based on money and and I realized that I don't want my life based on money I want it based on the value that I have in in that item so for example If I'm trying to buy a car seat for my newborn child, I don't want to have to buy the $200 car seat because that's what I can afford as opposed to the $500 car seat because I value my child in Mm -hmm. the highest regard, but I I don't want money to be the the compromising factor for me. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was talking to someone today about the, about Jaden Smith once again, (laughs) and and about how, um, you know, he's been able to reinvent himself and try so many things because his family gave him the money and the room to fail. Mm -hmm. And I, I want my children to be able to have the luxury of doing whatever passions are on their heart and not having to, to worry about money or to worry about, 
you know, well, I, I can't pay the rent or I can't do this or I can't do that, you know, and, and I, and I, it, it's really important to me because I want to be able to have time with my kids. And I don't think we realize this as children, but summer breaks are very stressful for parents who work nine to five. Yep. Because And I didn't know that because my Nana raised me. So like she didn't have a job. Right. So I was mm-hmm. out in the summer. We was chilling. But now <laughs> I, I look at parents and their kids get out for the summer and they're trying to figure out where to put my child. I don't want that to ever have to be a thought that goes through my mind because I'm at home all the time and my child will be at home with me, you know, and, and I have mentors now who are helping me become financially independent. And I look at their lives like if their their child is sick. They don't have to call into a job and be like, hey, can I call out today because my child is sick? I know I have that presentation, but I can't find someone to take care of my child. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like all of this. It's like, no, my family will always come first. And I don't want a job to come between that. The fact that we even have to ask jobs like, hey, can I take off to go to these doctor's appointments to take care of my own health? Like, why are we asking permission to do things to 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 survive you know mm-hmm. to live and and I get that some people are very gung-ho about you know working traditional nine to fives for the next 40 to 50 years of their lives and my question to them is will that job if something happens to you tomorrow take care of your family can it be passed down to take care of your your children or your parents or anyone no, because you can't pass a nine to five down. And we talk about this, you know, in communities of color. We're like, oh, like generational wealth and how other people have it. Other people have it because they built something that they could pass down. You can't pass down a great job. And, and that's what we've been taught all our lives is, you know, as, as being black in America, you have to be a thousand times greater than the mm-hmm. next person and you have to get that, you know, that top CEO position and you have to be an engineer, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer, you have to be whatever. But that law degree can't be passed down to your child because <laughs> guess what? They got to take the bar. They got to go to law school. It's not taking care of nobody, bro. Nobody. <laughs> actually willable to three generations after me you know you ask walk around and ask 10 people oh what was your great great grandfather saying they're not gonna know but if their great great grandfather left them with some money and started <laughs> generational wealth I bet they would know who that is right I bet they would have a picture of them and it's just like that's what I want to build for my family I want to build generational wealth um, so they don't have to think twice about things. And so I don't have to choose going to work over taking care of my family. Um, because I think the rhetoric that we we pass on to kids is is backwards, you know, because these jobs, they won't always be loyal to you. You, oh. could get, you could get fired and be the best employee in the building, but they say, oh, the company's taking a new direction Girl. and you're not included in that direction. And a lot of people, they it kills me when people say, Oh, you know, I have a secure government job. Oh, yeah. When the government shut down, I know a lot of people who were driving Uber, but were making $90,000 on paper at their good government job. And it's just like we have to we have to realize that we can't keep doing the same things, wanting different results. And and that's what I realized. So that's why when I met my mentors and I saw like, oh, wow, like you're 44 years old, but you haven't had a job since you were 22 tell me more. You know, I I realized that I realized I needed a new way of thinking. I needed a new way of living. And for me to have people in my life who are millionaires and and have the desire to pour into me and want to help me to get to the lifestyle that I desire. And that's on my heart. I'm, I'm just so grateful and so appreciative. Like you said, people rarely have conversations about money. People don't want to teach you about it. But now I have people in my back pocket that I can call and say, hey, you know, this is the situation that's going on. What's your perspective? And have them give me three different options and say, you know, this is what will happen if you go this way or that way or that way. You know, it's up to you. But but this is, you know, th- these are the options. Yeah. And, I, and I just feel so blessed. And I feel that more people need to have mentors in their lives that have the life that they want. Because a lot of times we'll get mentors, right? 
and will have mentors because they have the career that we want. Yep. But what about their family life? If they have the career that you want, but they're only home three nights a week and their children go to bed at 6 p.m. and they never get to see their kids. Is that also part of the life that you want? Because you have to realize the fruit has to be on the tree, you know, and, and we we frequently just ignore those other parts of people's lives and realize that sometimes um, people don't have the full package, you know, and and it's it, it can be harmful to follow people who don't have the full package that you want. Man, that just was like, damn. <laughs> like, you're so right. Because even me just thinking, like, back to when I was like, hmm, like, I feel like I, you know, really admire this person. Like, I could see them being a mentor is because of, like, what they were doing, what position they had within the organization. But if you ask me about their personal life, even their person, I mean, this was, you know, I didn't know their person you know that well but once I learned I was like oh I don't want anything to do with you and your situation like I don't want it (laughs) so (laughs) you're not the mentor for me because that was really important for me like you just got a a lot going on that I'm not trying to be a part of and if you can't have your personal life together like how can I trust you to mentor me about my life in general whether or not it's just career specific we're not mm-hmm. and so I think that was that's really important so everyone out there listening you know if you're thinking about finding a mentor make sure they have the total well I don't know if they have the total package but that their their personal life is something that you admire as well as you know the career that they have because um, like you said I don't think en- enough of us think about that yeah and it, and it's sad you know when you look at marriages and and couples they spend the best hours of their days away from the people that they love the most you know building and focusing on whatever their career is which is usually something that's not the same as their spouse and then you come home at night and you're tired you know you don't have energy to give to the to the one you love and that can lead to you feeling irritable Mm-hmm. Or that can lead to you getting annoyed because you're bringing home the energy that you had at your job to your house, you know? And and I don't want that for my future husband and myself. Like, I want to be able to spend the best hours of our days just relaxing, you know, or exploring a new downtown area or traveling or taking our kids somewhere. You know, that that's what I want. Um, because, you know, we think of retirement as something that has to be this magical age of 65 or 67 or whatever it is now. And it's just like, do you really want to wait to 67 to, to spend the best of your days, you know, to spend a month in Greece because your PTO won't allow you to spend a month mm, in Greece. Girl, no, it won't. You know? Um, and, and I just challenge people to really think about what they want their lives to look like because our whole life we've been conditioned to ask kids what do you want to be when you grow up and if they say oh I want to be a doctor you're like oh my gosh yay but you don't tell that child that a doctor means sometimes working 12-hour shifts you know spending nights at the hospital Mm -hmm. not with your family or not even in your own bed let's just say you're single but you appreciate sleeping in your own bed you know Um, and I think we also need to change the rhetoric instead we should ask kids how do you want to live when you grow up and, and ask them, how many hours do you want to spend at home? You know, do you want to travel frequently? Do you want to have PTO? Do you want to have the, the freedom to get up and go? And, and, I, and I'm pretty sure their, their, career, change, their, their career choices would change yeah. if they really had the full picture of what exactly that career looks like on a day-to-day basis. Mm, how do you want your life to be? Ooh! Yes! <laughs> Y'all see why I run her on now. Like, crumpets, crumpets, crumpets. Okay, so one last piece. So in thinking about financial freedom, how would you suggest people, you know, start making those financial changes to get Mm -hmm. to that point? Like, what's an easy step that people can take away after listening to this? An easy step, step one, is actually looking at your finances. Um, I know personally for a very long time, I didn't really look at my, my money, like 
I wouldn't be able to tell you how much money I had in my account because it was a little scary. It was a little intimidating. You know, I knew I had enough to not be in the red, but mm-hmm. that's all that I knew. And and I think that that's because we don't talk about money openly. No one teaches us about money. We don't learn about it in school. So it's, you know, supposedly the onus of your, your parents to be able to do that. And not everyone's parents, you know, can equip them with that because they didn't learn it themselves. Um, so I say the first one is becoming very intimate with your money and your spending habits, you know, tracking what you're spending money on, where that can be cut out and, and looking at your spending and saying, is this something that I value? Do I value Chipotle every day? Or do <laughs> no. I value being able to buy a house in two years, you know? And, and because my mentors say where your money goes is where you value. And if you look at where your money's going and you're, you're realizing those don't match up with your value system, then you should change your money habits. Um, then the next thing I would say is to this one isn't as easy as the first one, um, but to figure out ways to have multiple streams of income, and those multiple streams should be streams that you can can um, can control yourself, <laughs> streams that can't get cut off if someone doesn't like you, or to fire you, or new leadership comes in, or whatever the case may be, um, because that's what a nine to five is. <laughs> it, it's not as secure as you think it is. So whether that's your own business endeavor, if you are, you know, a natural born entrepreneur that's in your blood and you you feel good about that, or whether that's, you know, finding someone who else is a, who is an entrepreneur and asking them, how can you support their business? Because I find it that people always tell me like, yeah, I want financial freedom, but I don't think I can be an entrepreneur. You know, I don't think that's for me. And it's just like, okay, well, how about finding someone who has their own business and saying, oh, you know, do you have any job openings? Do you have any of this? Do you have any of that? Um, you know, and figuring out how you can, can do that, you know, be a part of someone else's dream and, and see if you can learn in the process and maybe be mentored by them. And then maybe you can learn how to start your own. Um, and then obviously the, the last one I would say is finding a mentor. You know, my mentors, when I first uh, well, not first sat down with them, but when I like really, really sat down with them for a serious conversation, we went over my budget and I had never had anyone hold my hand and go through my budget with me, you know, and they they showed me the lifestyle that they lived and how they saved up money and how they cut back on certain things to get to where they are. Um, so finding someone who is in life where you want to be and is willing to help you get there is definitely the last key um so yeah <laughs> all righty did y'all get all that write it down have i hope you had your little notebook piece of paper scrap paper <laughs> journal i don't know a napkin with some lipstick whatever you had <laughs> write it down or you know you can just rewind and listen again after you get all your writing utensils situated <laughs> um so Ashley, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoy this conversation. I mean, every time we talk, I learn something new from you. So, you know, I'll be taking some of this uh, away with me as well. Um, And so for people who want to learn more about you, follow you, gain more wisdom from you, where can they find you on social media? Yes. On social media, I am Don't Die Afraid. So D-O-N-T-D-I-E-A-F-R-A-I-D. And that's on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook, YouTube. Like, I'm Don't Die, Pinterest. Like, I'm Don't (laughs) Die Afraid everywhere. Um, And then you can also email me at don'tdieafraid at gmail.com. If you have like a youth group or if you work in the education system and you would like me to come do a workshop at your your school or for your youth group or for your church, Um, because my biggest goal and my biggest why, in addition to like being able to provide for my family, is to be able to quit my nine to five and be able to travel the world and talk to students about what's going on with them and their mental health um, and really be that light that I wish I had when I was a younger um, when I was younger, um, because I feel like we overlook the things that children are going through. Um, so I just want to be a support system for them. So if you have any opportunities for speaking at 
um, schools or anything, I would love that. Or if you want to talk more about financial freedom and how I personally met my mentors or learning more about them, because like I said, they just love helping and pouring into other people who have a dream and are actually serious about getting to that dream. Alrighty. Hope y'all heard that. <laughs> Reach out. Find her. Right? Her. I love helping people. So and networking. So I'm You will not help. be disappointed, I promise. <laughs> but thank you so much, Ashley, for having me on to share all my crumpets. And congratulations on, you know, actually starting your podcast and going after it after sitting on the idea for so long and listening mm-hmm. to everybody else in their mama's podcast because <laughs> you're the podcast queen. I'm um, trying to be. So. And it's just fun. <laughs> so I just, I love being able to just like talk with my friends who are doing amazing things. Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Y'all are amazing. Thanks for supporting Ashley. Alrighty, have a good night, (laughs) y'all. Bye.